Welcome to the Inspired Teacher's Guide podcast. We are Kim Wilkins and Laura Woldridge, just two teachers trying to podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us. Our goal is to help you by discussing a variety of topics that will help you as a whole, in the same way we want to focus on the whole child. On this podcast, we will be talking in and outside the classroom. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Today is our very first Q&A. Yay! We plan to do these every quarter. We love getting your input and your questions. Be on the lookout later in the fall for our second Q&A post and feel free to send any questions you may have so that we can problem solve on them. I think we've got good questions this time. Me too. Uh, You can shoot your questions to us anytime along the way. We'll also tackle our I used to think, but now I know at the very end. If you think of questions, you know, between now and that post, you can send them to us uh, through Messenger or an Instagram message. Please do. Yeah, yeah. We, we really want to be a help to you. Yes. So. All right. Okay. So our first one, Laura, was from Amber. And she said, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. Okay. She wants to know um, and hear tips about smoothly running a class that changes classes. So she wants tips about smooth setup, transitions for multiple classrooms, and even, bless your heart, the people who have to share her room with a teacher. Oh, it's, hard. it's hard. So That's hard. Not having your own, not feeling an ownership of that space. Very, very It's hard. really tough. Okay, so here are some tips. We just made a list. We just went back and forth. And so this happens, this happened to me um, in my last, actually, I've been working with changing classes for a long time. So I, I'll talk back and forth as an elementary teacher and as a little bit of a high school and as a college teacher. But no matter what class I taught, I think it's very important the students know where to go when they walk in the room. Yes, absolutely. You know, that that creates chaos and eats up our instructional time when they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can do that in a variety of ways. You could establish a seating chart if you wanted to. Um, I do random grouping, which I always talk about that building thinking classrooms, but my students would draw a card or, um, and they would go match their card to where they were sitting. Um, sometimes I would do like each table would have a punctuation mark on it and they would draw a sentence and they would have to match it to the correct punctuation oh, mark. Uh, for Amber, she teaches math. They would draw a card and they would have to do the multiplication problem or the division. Division was quite a challenge, even at the college <laughs> level. I would always support them if they needed it. My friend Yvette, she would have, um, she had quotes on their desk, and it would say, you are loved. And then yours might say, um, you have great potential or whatever. So you could match inspirational quotes to the desk. Too. Oh, that's great, too. Lots of ways, no matter what. A big thing about changing classes is, where do they go when they walk in the door? Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. and. All the things. Oh, gosh. All the things. (laughs) All the things that they bring in and all the things that they will need. Yes. So you've got to have a procedure and a routine for how and where to store that. Because Mm -hmm. somebody else is coming in and they're going to use your classroom. Or if you've got sixth grade and they're... You're doing mid-level and you've got different groups of kids that come in. Right. And you've got their their materials and your homeroom materials, it just gets messy. So you've got to have very established routines and procedures for your materials. So you need to like play the devil's advocate a little bit. Mm -hmm. What problems am I going to run into? 
what is going to be a potential problem for students, what's going to be a potential problem for me, and then just establish a routine or procedure so that that doesn't happen. I think really at the beginning of school, you can work on establishing, and you're going to have to spend some time right on on working towards smooth transitions yes and that time will pay off in the future yes you had you were really good with transitions um one of my partner teachers when i was teaching third and fourth grade our rooms connected with a door and so what would happen is my third graders would walk through that connecting door my fourth graders who were in her classroom um, would walk outside in the hall and come in. And so the transition happened almost like in a circle mm-hmm. and it happened at the same time. And it was quick. And it was very quick. We we got it down and I would have a competition. We had a chart on the wall. Yesterday we did this transition in two minutes oh, and three good. seconds and we were trying to beat the time. Now, you know, sometimes when you do that, the kids get wild. And so it's, you know, we're trying to beat this time efficiently, quietly, and gently or whatever it is, you know, just making sure that it doesn't become, so they're not running. Yeah. But yeah, I think the route, the route of exiting and the route of entering needs to be very thoughtful. Even like how will your kids stand up and exit to line up? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You've got to have a procedure for that. Well, I think behavior problems come out. Transition time is a fine time for behavior issues. And they cannot be standing in the hall for 15 minutes. So if you're a partner teacher with somebody, make sure you get your lessons (laughs) finished and ready to transition. Um, Thank you to all my former partner teachers who (laughs) were patient with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, was I talking to you? Sorry. Well, once you transition from one room to another, then they're going to come in the room. Right. And you've got to have a routine for what do you want them to do when they walk in that door? And it really needs to be something that they can handle independently because you know, teachers, you're always dealing with something or you just need to get your game face on. Mm -hmm. And so thinking what routine can they establish? I mean, do I have a do now up on the board and a do now would just be something like, um, a review. Little, a review thing or something that they know to do right now as we set up class. Like get your materials out mm-hmm. or get a book out and start to read. Or yeah. Whatever that thing is that you want them to do when they come in so that you can get your game face on. So when in in my last role at teaching at the college level, you know, on the board, I would just have if they had handouts from a previous class, I would have those up on the board with a magnet. And it would say, get these. And then I would list out my materials. Mm-hmm. My friend, Emily Wispy. Oh, Emily, I hope you don't care if I link this to you, to your um, link that your Facebook post to this episode. But she has cute little cutouts, like picture um, a cutout of a whiteboard and a cutout of a pencil. And they're all on magnets. Mm-hmm. So she can just push those over to the side and then pull them out on the board. And so when the students walk in, they see what they need. So kindergarten, first grade teachers, that might be great visual support for you. Um, But upper level, you know, you can just write out what they need. Right. And that is like mandatory that when they walk in the door, that is what needs to be out, needs to be, how would I say? Taking place. Taking place right then. Because I sure don't want to say, 20 minutes in the class, get out your iPads and students are digging through the backpack. Right. That 
that, that you want that iPad out there, that routine <laughs> of teaching them. Mm-hmm. When you walk in here, you look up at that board and whatever's on that list, you get it out. That's right. When we start, we're going, we're going fast. We have no time to waste. So as I would be switching classes because I would be switching different content every hour and 15 minutes. I think I shared this in another podcast, but I had a bin for each class. And so all my materials for a class were grouped. And that was a huge help to me because I was completely switching gears every hour and 15 minutes. And I would just have all my materials ready. My materials. Your teaching materials. Mm -hmm. And I would actually stock those at the beginning of the week for Tuesday, Thursday classes in college. And then I would have a divider between Tuesday and Thursday. Don't don't pass that out too soon. But that was a huge help to me because you just never know, you know, like Amber, she's teaching math and science into two different groups. And, you know, she might need some fraction bars, you know, at eight o'clock and she might need some lab materials at 930. Yeah. So if she can just group those together. She can just pull out the bin. And it's ready for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the kids need a bin too. The kids need a bin. And I think I also shared this on the last one, but I had table bins or you could do row bins. But I stocked those at, you know, at the end of the day if I had time before the next day or that morning um, with all the materials that they would need for that day. And if my students did need fraction bars, then I would have four sets of fraction bars in there. Mm-hmm. And maybe they needed highlighters. Whatever they needed was in that bin before we started class, actually before the day. That's good. And so that allowed me not to have to pass out things. Because that eats up my time and especially as a big deal for transitions. Yeah. Some kids, Laura, don't transition well. Yeah. They don't move from one class to another very well. They're light. Their stuff is all falling out of their back. <laughs> I have some of those in my family. <laughs> uh, yes, me too. I'm not going to call any names. Yes. But yeah. Okay. So what can we do to help those kiddos who really struggle with transition? And you will, you know, if you don't know your kiddos at the beginning of the year, you will quickly know you these will stand out yeah mm-hmm. well but, i think you've got to you've got to nudge them along the way mm-hmm. yeah you know, help them before time to transition to the next class you know what you need to get mm-hmm. this together because you're going to need it for your next period class they just don't have the executive skills to deal with that so they we don't. have to, to help them learn how to do that so i think connecting with them and i encourage you to give some Time reminders, you know, okay, guys, in about two minutes, we'll be changing classes or in two minutes, we'll be wrapping up and and teaching them. That doesn't mean you're shutting down. I'm just kind of giving you a warning that maybe for your kiddos that struggle, you might even give them, okay, you know, we're getting close to class and I'll be giving out a time warning, but I want you to know that we have about five minutes left. High school kids, it's crazy. Uh, Like they won't have their phones. They don't, most of them don't wear a watch, but it is like. They know when that bill is about to ring, and I don't know. They Because I'm just teaching it. away, and I'm like, is it time for the bell? Yes, ma'am. We've got two minutes. You, I never saw you look at your watch. How did you know you've got two minutes? They really are good at that. So maybe we do a good job training on when they're younger. <laughs> but, so. yeah. They're on a 52-minute yeah. timer or something. Give them time to take care of that business. Put yeah. Put away. But I think we want to be careful in... Probably not giving it. I'm going to give you two minutes to pack up your bag 
or right. two minutes to get your things. Yeah. Just say, all right, guys, You've we're got packing about 30 up seconds. and let's go. Yeah. And and really putting some urgency, some gentle urgency behind right. it. But we don't want to spend five minutes packing up a no. bag. No, we so don't. I need four and a half minutes to teach and then we'll take 30 seconds to quickly wrap up. That's right. You need uh, manipulatives for your content. So if yeah. you're teaching science, and someone else is coming in there and they're teaching math, you need to have a space designated for your mm-hmm. manipulatives or your materials that you need specifically for your content. Right. And sh- that's when sharing a room is going to be, it's going you to know, be- if another teacher's coming in, that will be very difficult. And I think activating the children doubt or the children or the adults that you're teaching Activating them in the process would be very helpful too. That's right. You also need to work out a deal with your partner teacher for um, what wall space is going to be yours mm-hmm. and how that like that's going to have to be a com- conversation. I think that you have yeah. to have with that person. I think if you're sharing a room, the wall space, you need to work that out. You also need to think about physical space. Where would be the best place for me to keep my things and your things and all that? And then even board space, I think, becomes an issue because sometimes you do need to leave stuff up on the board. Yes. But your partner teacher comes in. So maybe trying to work out a system for for even those things. Yeah. It's just difficult. It is difficult. So I just encourage you guys that if you are changing classes, really invest your time at the beginning of of thinking. Mm-hmm. and problem solving before the kiddos even arrive and then really working the plan mm-hmm. because you can get it down quick. Yes, you can. They will They will rise to the bar. They will. Well, the next question is from Nia. Nia is Demetria, but she's Nia. Okay. And she's one of my good friends. She calls me her school mama. <laughs> she's my school mama too. <laughs> What are some must-haves for a first-grade classroom? Now, this is right down my alley right here. Yes. We had fun with this one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, We need manipulatives in different ways. Right. We need some for sounds. For first grade, we need to be manipulating sounds like crazy. Yes. Which I would, in my classroom, when I was teaching college kids to teach kids (laughs) to read, we, we had a variety. The math counters also... We were, would use, mm-hmm. we could flip, but they also had uh, just cardstock color cards. Right. Uh, sometimes we'll use Play-Doh, you know, mm-hmm. a variety of things. But. Right. Manipulatives for for phonemic awareness, mm-hmm. for segmenting and blending. Yeah. Phonics, you're going to need letters and... Elkonin uh, boxes. Yes. Mark, so you need markers, markers for that. Dry erase markers, mm-hmm. whiteboards. And for math, obviously, you're going to need all, yeah. <laughs> counter... It, it just counters. depends yeah. on what your state expects. Yeah. You know, some of you first grade teachers might be teaching time and some might not clocks. be. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love the Judy clocks. I do too. I do too. You need mirrors. You definitely need mirrors. You've got to have mirrors so that you can, when you're working on sounds and the manner and articulation of sounds of letters, and you're teaching that, that children can see what their mouth is doing mm-hmm. because they will learn it quicker. And more efficiently, if you can teach them that it's a stop sound or your lips are together or your teeth are, you're, it's, you're, it's a smiling vowel mm-hmm. or whatever the sound is, they need to be able to see their mouth. Yeah. 
and, and pausing them and saying, oh, where, you know, where right. is your tongue? How all yes. of those questions you can prompt them through. I've literally taken when I've been working one on one with a student, I hold a mirror up beside my mouth and I have them look into the mirror oh, and, and match my mouth. Oh, that's good, Kim. Well, I stole that from somebody, but it does work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, you know, and Dollar Tree is great for the mirrors. Yes, they are. I, a teacher at the Jonesboro School District, she had, like, picture the old buttons that we had. Yeah. But they were like button mirrors. Yes. Um, That's what size I use. Okay. Mm-hmm. I found some cute handheld ones at Dollar They look really fancy, but they were just a dollar uh-huh. at Dollar Tree. So just locating those. And even sometimes if I, like, I forgot to bring my mirrors over to the classroom. We would just use our iPads and put it in the camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. But they need some way to look at themselves, make those sounds. That, you can fix a lot of spelling errors that way. Yes, you can. Yeah. Yes, because little kids will make an F sound for a TH. Mm -hmm. So they think instead of think. Yeah. 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 So we, that kind of moves on to the sound wall. Mm -hmm. I love a sound wall. My Lexi does a great job with the sound wall and she does a lot of activities with it. So if you don't know what a sound wall is, it is a wall that has, it's an area in your room where you have uh, keyword pictures Mm -hmm. and the letters. We keep the letters covered up until we teach that sound, the, the letter that matches that sound. But you have them arranged by stops, continuance, vowels you know, consonant sounds, voiced and unvoiced sounds. So I think that's, it's really important. So when kids are spelling, you can say, okay, let's think about that. Mm -hmm. And we put in a lot of classrooms, we would put the mouth picture with the sound. So I'd say, okay, let's think about how to spell that. We know that's an E sound. Mm -hmm. What what are the different ways to Mm -hmm. spell the E sound? We know we can spell it with um, an E at the end of an open syllable. We know we can spell it with two E's. We know we, all the different ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. lucky for us, there are lots of ways. Oh, yes. <laughs> but yes. the sound wall can be a super great support for your students and Absolutely. you in instruction. So if we were just talking a foreign language to you, don't stress. Uh, we, yes. we can put a picture of one up and yeah. we can also link the cards that Kim and I used um, for Stonewall. Yes, it's for tools from reading and we'll put that in the notes. Yeah, it's it's I, I think it's very worth your time in establishing and, and then talking about with your students. Yeah, and it's fun to play games with it. Lexi will play like 20 questions mm-hmm. and she taught the kids to do it. So a child writes down the letter for this that matches the sound that they're thinking of. And the other students in the classroom ask questions like, is it a stop? Yes or no? Is it a continuance? So they're figuring out which sound. That's Mm -hmm. cute. Yeah. So, and also in that tools for reading, which we're getting no, we're just doing free commercials for them. Uh, But in that, if you buy the kid lip picture, that set, I think it's in that set, they have a list of lots of activities. I'm sure you can also Google them. But, a must-have, not only as a sound wall, but activities to go with your sound wall. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And don't it's not just wall clutter. It really is an interactive piece. Yeah, we want to use it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got to have an area for gathering a whole group. Yeah. They're first graders, and they cannot sit in their chair all day. No. They can't. So they need to be able to 
find a place where you can read books to them, where I used to put mine on the perimeter of the carpet when we would do math manipulatives. So we were in a big circle oh. and we would lay the manipulatives out. I was in the circle with you them. Could see I could see what they were Intervene. And they're quieter on carpet. <laughs> manipulatives are quieter on carpet. It's not And crashing. they're not falling off the desk. Yeah. So, yeah, a gathering place is just a great place to be. I, I think it's necessary for any grade, but especially first oh, grade. Oh, absolutely. You also need a place for small groups, Nia. That is just essential. You can do pull math groups back. You can pull writing groups back. You, you, That's right. You will activate that table so much. Tier one and tier two, you'll do mm. it all at that table. Um, you need independent work tasks. So I like the daily five. I think it is um, probably the most efficient way to do centers. I also like centers. I did a lot of centers mm-hmm. in my class, and I like that. You may decide that you just want to take those they have a, a basket, they take it to their back to their seat and they work tasks in there. But whatever that is that you have them working on, when they are independently working and you're working with groups, it has to be pre-taught and practiced and there has to be accountability. Yeah. They need to be recording in some way. Because their work. That's right. Otherwise, it's just play mm-hmm. and you need to check it. Well, in humans, we just need accountability. We do. We do. I do, <laughs> I do for sure. Okay. In a first grade classroom, you need quality reading materials. These thinking about when you are purchasing or when you check out from the library, that's how I got a lot more books in uh-huh. my room is I would just go check out a massive amount of books, but making sure that we're exposing them to quite a bit of nonfiction and fiction, making sure that we're, you know, that balance is being acknowledged that we are really choosing books that have great vocabulary. Uh, and, you know, you can Google lots of great lists and just talk to your librarian and other you know, people. But that is that is a must, must, must for a first-grade classroom. Yes. Uh, handwriting. Mm. They have to have explicit instruction in the first grade for handwriting. And it needs to be numbers and letters. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the reason why is not just because we want it legible so we can read it, which we do, but that takes some cognitive load off when I can quickly and automatically form a letter without thinking about it, then my thinking can go on to what I'm writing Mm -hmm. and not how to make this letter. Right. But if I'm having to think, how do I spell that? What's the first sound? Now, how does that letter look? I'm not sure where to make, how to make it. Where to start? It is well worth your time and theirs Mm -hmm. to spend time explicitly teaching them the path of movement for letters and do it in multisensory ways. You can do it, teach them the path of movement, and that can become a center Mm -hmm. um, for them to work on. That they would enjoy. Yeah. So use sandpaper. You can use different writing objects. We talked about this in another podcast our favorite markers i use markers mm-hmm. i've got those paint uh crayon things they're like paint we per- would do trace erase where they wrote it with a whiteboard and then they use like they cut off the fingers of, of the glove mm-hmm. and then they can trace that letter to erase they it. love that trace erase yes. i think it's i magic. do too i know <laughs> yeah so that's important and then chart paper oh kim and i if only we could be sponsored by the chart people yes. chart paper people <laughs> i want a job with them <laughs> We can definitely promote it. Yes. So chartboard and markers are just key because anchor charts should be made 
very often to track the learning. And they're just, yeah, and chart paper's just great. Yeah, it is. So, so uh, versatile. The other thing is an alphabet arc. And I have learned as my tra- in my training as a dyslexia therapist how important the alphabet is and how quickly we leave it behind. Mm. We stop way before kids are automatic. They need to know the order of the alphabet mm-hmm. and they need to be able to put it in order quickly. That alphabet arc is you can order them. Your, your district can, and we can put a link in there. Again, it, we don't have an affiliate link for this, but we can put that in here. But you can also get it on the Florida Center. Oh, I do think that's where I've gotten mm-hmm. mine. It's free. And I've just printed it out and put it in sheet protectors. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can blow it up if you have a poster maker at your school. Oh. You can make a big center out of it. <laughs> now that's fancy. You can put it in order, or they can blow it up to, you know, like a... 11 by 14 or something bigger. Okay. And then they can put the alphabet in order. But it's really important. I think it is too. Okay. And of course, personal whiteboards for the kids to have. Mm -hmm. And at most grades I have taught, I have just uh, had a sheet protector that I filled with a piece of white cardstock and also a green sheet of paper. And so the students would write on the cardstock side, the white side, and then they could flash me green when they were ready to go. Oh, when they that's were ready good. To show. That's a good idea. It, in that uh, sheet protector, they had a marker, a whiteboard marker, and a piece of felt, just chopped up felt to yeah. be an eraser. I definitely use the felt. I cut those out for my kids this year, and it's just so much easier than all those little erasers. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, and if your district has the great hard, well, hopefully you don't have shower board. <laughs> Yeah, I'm always. That's oh, what we come have. on, Remember? people. <laughs> that does not erase well. But if you have, um, you know, the real whiteboards, that's great. But if you don't, the personal whiteboards are great. Yeah, the little gel boards. We had these little boards that were they were filled with gel, and we used. I think they were gel. Anyway, we used like a little uh, magnetic pen on it, almost like a what's that? Like a magnadoodle. Okay. It was more like that, and they could write it. Oh, they loved fine. it. They sounds loved fine. that. Yeah. Okay. Other things for a first grade classroom, which a lot of these can transfer to others, but or uh, just some games and activities for indoor re- recess. Or if you're like me, when I was teaching third grade, the junior high and high school let out at three, and our late bus left at three thirty-five, oh, and yeah. so I was holding on to students that long. Yeah. So what? What can my students do? I had Lincoln Logs. I had dinosaurs that were a hit. Yes. Just, you know, games that you could buy at a garage sale or people that are getting rid of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think kids play enough games. Yeah. Like board games. That teaches a lot of um, patience. Mm -hmm. And and card games, it's problem solving. If you're playing card games or checkers, that's problem solving. And I don't think they do that. They're on devices too much. And right. so I think they need, that would be the best thing for them to do during rainy day play. Mm-hmm. Have. And building their social skills. Oh yeah. Yeah. So a first grade teacher needs a calendar. Markers. Yeah. All, all the markers. Of markers. Um, and social emotional learning activities. Yes. That really needs to be a part of your daily life, if not more than once. That's right. And we so. are linking from the state of Arkansas. Yeah, the state of Arkansas has a great framework. It's called the Guide for Life. And if you're not familiar with SEL instruction, that will give you a great springboard. Yes. So, working memory. 
Mm, a I mean, lot of times what we think is that kids can't sound out words. We're like, oh, but they're, they sound it out. They can tell me all the sounds, but they, then they say some off the wall word. Well, the problem is, is they don't have the working memory to hold that first sound or all the sounds in their head. So they sound out fast, but they can't come up with fast. They've already forgotten that first thing. Right. So working memory activities are really, really good for them and that they're quick can be a really quick come to the carpet. We're going to do one for, for two minutes. Um, I'll link some in there, but I'm very interested yeah, in that. Yeah. Like just saying some numbers and they say it back or we start a story. Okay. I'm going to start the story and I'm going to say what I'm going to bring. And then you add to it. So Laura, I'm going on a trip and I'm going to take a suitcase. Mm-hmm. And then you would say, I'm going to take a suitcase and, and- a beach towel. Then I have to name those things. Oh. I'm taking a suitcase, a beach towel, and a hairbrush. And then you go. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. I think kids would think that you're just playing a game, but really you are building yeah. a working and, memory. Right. And you don't have to spend a lot of time, just mm-hmm. a minute or two. But it's a great intervention, and they need it so badly. And not just first graders. Oh, no. <laughs> not just first graders. I might be able to benefit from some working I memory I know tools. I would, for sure. Okay. One of my favorite teachers that I've met in the past few years is Erica, and she has a great question. She teaches fifth grade, I think. And she asked about how to show God's love in the classroom in appropriate ways. And immediately, I was excited by this question. And I was thinking about, I think it's Pope uh, Francis of Assisi. He is quoted by saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has to be our motto as uh, teachers in the public school. And, you know, if you're teaching a private school, you have much more leniency on that. But there's just, I think the options are endless for us. I do too. So when I was thinking about this, my immediate thought after Francis of Assisi was, I think if I can get to kids' roots, if they're having an issue, uh, a behavior issue, me trying to attack the root of the problem instead of just reacting to the problem, I am showing God's love. Yeah, I think so too. And then being patient, showing them patience and giving them grace, I think sets you apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eye contact, tone of voice. Yes. You know, and... Thinking about my reactions. Yeah. My favorite proverb is a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Mm -hmm. So if we come at them with harsh words, we're just going to, we're just making a fight. Yeah. So a gentle answer turns away wrath. I I try to really think about that. You are good at that. And think about, well, thank you. I am not, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) We, we, We can demonstrate that verse. Um. With actions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when I was teaching in a private university and we had Be the Light, that was our theme. Yes. We have to be different. Yeah. yeah. And so showing them with our actions is a huge way to be I different. I think so too. Being kind and smiling. You can smile. You know what? That doesn't cost anything. <laughs> doesn't. Kindness and smiling are free. Those are free. Oh, and such yeah. great gifts. And then... The more that we do that, then the more our community and our rooms become that way. That's right. So, And they feel safe there, that we want that emotional safety. That really needs to be priority because mm-hmm. so, we sure aren't going to be learning. Even if the environment is physically safe, if our environment is not emotionally safe, then 
no, nothing's going to happen. Right. That's good. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. A big thing, a big thought that came to my mind when I was thinking of answers for this question is collaborative problem solving. So I, I love a good um, behavior plan, a behavior conference, I should say, which we would create a behavior plan. And I do this with the student. So I have done this with little kids. I have done this with high schoolers and I have done this with college students, really attacking a problem that's a major thorn in our side, us acknowledging the problem together, thinking through it, getting to the root and making an action plan. Yeah. And that has gotten me so much fruit. Yes. I had a student last year and he never got anything done. Now he was great for me, but it would come time for the nine weeks grades to go quarterly grades to go out or five weeks and he didn't have all his assignments done. <laughs> so I learned really quickly, okay, bud, we're gonna have to mm-hmm. think about what's coming up. Is there something I need to help you with? I'll stay after school. I'll help you get it done. But right. And he really responded to me well and I think it's because he knew Miss Kim's going to help me. Mm-hmm. She's going to help me get it done. Well, I always just think about it. I'm using another church analogy, but when we're in church, if a sermon is presented, we may or may, you might think, oh, good for them. But if the preacher comes up to me yes. <laughs> and talks to me about it, yes. that's different. Yes, it is. So it is. I think, you know, connection, you're going to be noticing a theme for these podcasts, people we interview and people, things that we say effective teachers connect. They do. Absolutely. And I think if we're showing God's love, that is a huge thing that we can do. This next one, Laura, is something you thought of, and I thought it was so good about stories. I So our preacher did a sermon the other day, which I will refer to in just a minute. Just immediately my mind went to Erica's question, and I was thinking, you know, Jesus told stories, and I think about how we learn. Mm-hmm. We learn through examples and people being vulnerable and sharing their experiences. And for me to understand math, if I'm brought to a real life example, right? I yeah. think that's a way that we can show God's love is just tell stories. I think so too. Really, yeah. uh, really share about ourselves or experiences mm-hmm. we've had or yeah. what we've observed in life. Especially a child who is majorly upset or something when they do calm down, you can be like. I've experienced a little something like mm-hmm. you and let me tell you. And I think that that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So social emotional learning activities, again, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we've linked the Arkansas department, Desi, um, for what was that called? The guide for life. The guide for mm-hmm. life. Yes. I think any time that we can enhance their skills as a person, you know, how to communicate with others, how to, um, express their feelings, whatever. We are attending to human needs. That's right. And that's, that's right. what Jesus did. That's right. <laughs> and also, sometimes kids are hungry. Oh, yeah. yeah. I kept some snacks up in my desk. I had a little girl. Turns out she was homeless. I lived in their car. I did not know that at the time. But she was always hungry. And she was always late. And I just kept some food up there. And, and my kids didn't think anything about it. I just had a place for her to sit behind my reading table. And she would have a little snack. snack and she never made it in time for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And the kids in the classroom, they didn't care. They had breakfast and they also knew if they were hungry, I'd feed them too. That's right. <laughs> uh, I had some poor boys who would run in from baseball practice for class and I would go over there and get yeah, something. Get a snack. I, it just makes me think of when needs are presented, maybe I'm thinking a child needs attention or maybe a child 
whatever that I do need to attend to mm-hmm. it. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, just being positive, our world is so negative yes. now. I don't mean, get sucked into that. Watch yourself, catch yourself. Uh, just if, if we get negative, making sure that we're trying to catch it and switch it and flip it, flip it. That's flip right. it to something Ooh. positive. Yeah. That makes me think of our next episode or two episodes for now. Uh, our pastor, Dane Walmack, uh, was doing a sermon about um, Jesus throwing out the seeds and it happening on the rocky ground and things like that. And it's Matthew 13. And we he just challenged me to think, you know, I need to till the ground until the seed is ready to be planted. That's right. And so I am seeking connection. I am I'm pouring positivity. I am making engaging lessons, et cetera. And maybe Kim's not going to react to it immediately, but as time goes on, that's right. And you had to, so I'm, my husband farmed, you know, for Mm -hmm. his whole life really until just recently. And, um, it it wasn't one pass. You didn't get to go over that field with one pass. It takes a lot of prep work to get that ground ready to receive the seed. And Mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot of prep work with us. We can't just expect us to do one thing or even spend two or three weeks maybe connecting with a kid there. It's going to take them a while. It's going to take more than one pass. We can take that same concept and put it to our class as a whole. Yes. You know, you really are trying to build a class family, no matter what you teach, what grade you teach. All right. Oh, one more idea. Uh, He brought up a point in that sermon, Dane, thank you for all the, the seeds to answer this That's question. Right. We're so thankful. <laughs> uh, to make sure that we celebrate the gifts that are exhibited in our class. Oh, I love that one. And not to just focus on what we want out of kids. Mm-hmm. But if you have a natural artist or if you have a gifted writer or singer or comedian, try to nurture those gifts in a positive way. And I think that is shown in God's life. I do too. You know, um, somebody I heard it was in a sermon one time talked about training up a child in the way he should go. And he said, you know, that doesn't, I mean, obviously we want to train them spiritually, but he said, let's let them, let's train them toward their bend. Mm. So if they have a bend toward music, quit trying to train them toward the bend that we want. We played soccer. Mm -hmm. This that might not be his bend. So train that child and go with his bend. That's good parenting advice. It is. It is. All right. Our next question is from Jesse. She's asking, "How do I know what to take a grade on?" Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) We could do a whole podcast about it. Yes, and you know what? We've had. In our schools, we've had um, standards-based report cards okay. for so long. And this is not, this has been hard for me because then I went to the high school and then I had to give grades. grades. I was like, oh. Oh, okay. I would love to not take grades. I know. Okay. Well, we're, we're mandated to. So. Yeah, so here we go. So here's some things to think about. If I'm going to take a grade on something, is it going to inform me? Will it give me information to drive my instruction to make things better? Yes. Or to let me know and to let me know how Kim is doing? Yeah, I think it moves from from this old idea of this is a test and you're going to pass or fail mm-hmm. to this is an assessment that's going to inform my instruction. Right. So how is that going to inform your instruction? And, so. it, and it may not be where it informs your instruction this year. It may be you're that's going right. to improve next time. That's but, right. you know, is 
is is what you're having the kids do going to be uh, informative? That's right. And you don't have to grade everything. Praise the Lord. Yes. You know, I can walk around and check. They can be doing work and I can I can give them feedback verbally or check mark or smiley or sticker, whatever. That's right. So one thing I think we need to think about when we're thinking about grades is is this an essential standard? Is this something that is a need to know or a nice to know? And we want to really grade on those things that are essential that kids know and that have been practiced. We're not going to just do it one time. Right. And then there will be learning targets that lead up to that essential standard. So you may want to take some small grades. Everything is not 100 points, but some small grades on what leads up to that? Yeah, the those, little skills, the that little build up target to it. skills, learning targets that lead up to that that essential skill that you really have to get. But when we um, break down those standards, how does that break down, and what are the learning targets along the way? And so I think those would be good to take grades on. Me too. And I think as you lesson plan, so let's say that we're going to, I don't know, I'm just going to make up stuff. I don't think I can make up things on the fly. What could we do? Uh, you've, you've got to learn addition with regrouping. Oh, okay. So let's say that I'm teaching math. math again. Kim's always trying to make me teach math. So, you know, I'm going to roll something out on Monday, something out on Tuesday, and then maybe I could take a grade on Wednesday. Yes. I think, you know, as I lesson plan, I can think, okay, I've introduced it this day and we've practiced a little, we'll practice some more tomorrow. And then maybe I'll be ready to assess Wednesday or Thursday. You know, it just doesn't matter, but really intentionally thinking, when would they be ready to take a grade? And they will not be ready on day one. No, they will not. And it doesn't have to happen on Friday either, Laura. No, it does not. That's Please. like a Laura's laws of teaching. <laughs> you know, I just think many times we fall into that trap of test day becomes Friday. I take my spelling test, my math test, my reading test. I know. So, so we can all, we can do a test on Tuesday. We can. It or really needs to follow the learning. Right. Not just the calendar. The calendar. When are they ready? Okay, Jesse, hopefully we've given you some ideas for what to take a grade on. Not everything is our... Not <laughs> everything. Answer. Just what's essential and what is going to inform your instruction. Okay, my friend Marin brought up a great question and boy, did it hit me in the gut. Me too, Laura. She said, how to deal, how should I deal with imposter syndrome? I have it. <laughs> we too. both said we have it. <laughs> if you don't know about imposter syndrome, we Googled the definition. Uh, Google says it's the condition of feeling anxious or not experiencing success internally, despite being high performing in external objective ways. This may result in people feeling like a fraud or a phony that doubts their abilities. That's right. And you're always afraid you're going to get found out. Like they're going to figure <laughs> out that I am not. And you are. You are what you are. You're, you're, and you're capable yes. and you can always grow. That's right. That's right. Um, I have. Uh, quote. Oh, I love it. I, and it's not mine. It's Irma Bombeck. It is normal is a setting on a dryer. <laughs> Say it with us. Normal, normal is, is a setting, setting on a dryer. dryer. It's nothing else. <laughs> there is no other normal besides the setting on a dryer. Yeah. So what we want to encourage you is if you're feeling these feelings, don't think, I don't want you thinking, oh, I, this is not normal. No, yeah. no, it is. Everybody has this. <laughs> Everybody has 
we all have this. So first of all, recognize it is what it is Mm -hmm. that you're experiencing uh, that imposter syndrome and it's common and a lot of people go through it and you're not alone. And it's okay. I mean, Marin is a first year teacher and we're way into this business and we still feel it. That's right. So even recognizing it when you're slipping into those thoughts, being like, whoa, hold up. Yeah, that's right. I'm slipping. Yeah. And then change your thinking. You don't have to believe every thought that comes into your head. No. They're not all true just because you think it. So challenge that negative self-talk and that self-doubt and get ready. I tell my students, have your fighting words ready. When you, when, when a lesson doesn't go great and you're saying, I'm a bad teacher or whatever, I should, mm-hmm. I should not be doing this. No, have your fighting words ready. That's right. Instead of I'm not good enough, you say, you know what? I've got skills and abilities that I bring to the table mm-hmm. and I can do this. And I'm realizing that that didn't go great and I have a plan to make it better tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. Breathe and the there day. will be days that it doesn't go well. <laughs> Andrew Hovis, one time I taught a lesson. Andrew's grown. He's a doctor of occupational therapy now. And I taught a lesson. He was in my second grade class. And after it was over, I said, oh, boys and girls, that did not go very well. And Andrew Hovis said, no, it didn't. Let's don't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cute. Yeah. (laughs) So it's okay. But you can celebrate your achievements. Mm -hmm. So when you're you're falling into this, I don't belong. Why did they give me these children to teach? I can't do this. Now think about what you can do. You know what helps you do that? Your friends, your friends, (laughs) your friends, your family, but updating your resume. Mm -hmm. When you update, this this is very relevant to me right now because I just re-updated my resume and I did it and I was like, dog, I've got got skills. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, just a huge thing you can do is just talking about those feelings. Just saying, I'm feeling this way and talking it out because if Maren held that in her heart, that could have eaten her up, but her realizing that I feel this way, our friend Morgan feels this way. Yeah, we all you realize you're not alone. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Oh, we want to make sure uh, we are. This is so hard for me. Do not compare yourself to other people. Yeah, you have your gifts, and they have their gifts, and we all have our own gifts that are specific and individual to us. But when we're all working together, those gifts combined is what the world goes around so quit comparing yourself to other people because you're not another person you are you are fearfully and wonderfully made when you're feeling like a phony or a fraud or whatever think you know i'm here i'm here for a reason and i i'm not doing kim's job i'm doing my job that's right celebrate the other person's gifts Mm -hmm. and realize that you have some too some too that's right and if it gets really bad Mm -hmm. we are not therapists we are, we're te- just two teachers trying to podcast. <laughs> but find someone, to, a therapist or a counselor. Yes. I'm from a long line of believing that therapy is critical. And I've gone many times to talk to counselors and therapists. And it is so beneficial to find someone that you can talk to who is not your friend, mm-hmm. not your mama. Who can be very objective. Very objective. That's right. And just helping you get out of those threats. Because if this is a pattern in you, you might need some outside counsel. That's right. And just remember this. Feelings are not facts. Mm -hmm. Just because you feel like an imposter doesn't mean you are one. So separate your feelings from reality. That's one of the best ways to overcome it. Okay. So we're going to take our own advice. Okay. (laughs) 
extra. All right. Uh, that we just, oh, hold on. A listener asked that we discuss ways to avoid burnout. That's right. And Ronald, another listener, asked about handle how to handle stress. And our answers really correlated. Well, I, they, think? I think so, because I think when you're stressed over and over and those cortisol levels are up and you're anxious all the time and you're constantly in that flight or fight mode and with anxiety, that's what leads to burnout. Yeah, and then you're, you're just ready like, to go. ready to go. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to do some episodes. We have one in late October scheduled to talk about the stress cycle. You guys. Oh, it's going to be so good. Oh, it, it is life-changing information. I'm ready to get it done. And wait, we need to do it tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, we also have one coming up in December about resilience that we thought that would be a good time of the year to discuss Absolutely. about how to be resilient. But here's some thoughts now. So one thing is just don't be an island, you know, making sure that you surround yourself with friends that help you problem solve. Yes. If the people you ate lunch with, if you feel worse when you leave lunch, then find a new lunch You need buddy. to find a new, oh, what is, Trish has, oh, I can't, her lunch bunch. You need to find a new lunch bunch. Yes. So, so, you know, even if those are people that you've been to high school with and you talk to them every day, you need to find another friend that will feed positivity. So I, this girl sitting beside me here is my positivity <laughs> partner. I mean, I was, she talked to me off a cliff yesterday and because that's, Life happens. It does. And she will be honest with me and kind with it. So find you somebody like, you need a Laura. Get out and find you a Laura. Oh, and I need a Kim. Another thing, this is one of Kim's favorite things, is to just get outside. Absolutely. The sun does wonders. It does. Get outside, (laughs) go for a walk, breathe some fresh air, Mm -hmm. clear your head, listen to some music that's uplifting, listen to a book. I'm li- I'm listening to Jump right now mm-hmm. by Steve Harvey. If you want something encouraging and positive, uh, oh, it's a great book. I'll just read quotes to you. Yes, <laughs> so good. So get outside and move mm-hmm. and listen to something positive. Yeah. I, th- I think people who are stressed need positivity. Mm-hmm. And if we're burning out, we have probably used all our positivity out. Yeah. It's only, it's just a cup that's so full. And if we're not getting our cup filled and we're just, people are constantly giving, giving taking deposit. Mm-hmm. I mean, but not deposits with the opposite. <laughs> Withdrawal? Withdrawals. <laughs> <laughs> They're constantly withdrawing from our love cup and mm-hmm. we're not getting anything put in there. Right. It, it can be exhausting. I think removing yourself from the building, you know. Just it, get outside. Yeah. Just get outside. Making sure that you eat lunch. Many teachers I know, my friend Charlotte will skip lunch. Yeah, and that we do. That is that it's is not fuel. working for our stress. No, it's. I love you, Charlotte, but I do worry about your eating. I, I me too. <laughs> I worry about Charlotte's and mine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, we said listen to something inspiring, a book, yeah. or music, or a really great podcast. Oh, I have an idea. <laughs> We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, another way to avoid burnout and I think to manage your stress is to add variety in your lessons and your day. Yes. So especially if you're an elementary school teacher and you are in, you know, your curriculum has you in a real good rut, finding ways to add some variety would just be great. It adds some excitement into it's your fun. life. It's make it fun to teach. Yeah. So, and I think just have fun, celebrate accomplishments. If Sarah Futrell wins the comedy show, we're going to celebrate her. We do a drum roll and I give out a certificate. 
that's for a college kid. I think you can do, you can celebrate many things. I think so too. I think birthdays are huge. Well, make sure you're watching your gratitude and complaint ratio. And one thing to do is in your journal that you all have, I know you do because (laughs) I tell you all the time you need one, write your things you're thankful for down. Yeah, write something. Just we have to write a hundred, a list of 100 things, but just something you're thankful for today. That could be something that you do with your friend that you talk to. Maybe that's something you do in your lunch bunch or that's something you do on the supper table. But we have to make sure that we're living, that we're, if we're complaining a bunch, that we get out quickly. That's right. And, you know, complaining is fine, but we've got to be problem solving. Right. So that's right. We don't want to just complain. We want to find a solution. Right. And you need friends to help you do that. Uh, Setting some good boundaries for your time and your thinking. That's us. The thinking part is where I really struggle with. So, you know, I was getting into a habit of I would be obsessively thinking about work when I would be going to sleep and I'd, I would say to myself, stop, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I was really redirecting and think about the beach. Think about something I love. Think about whatever. You know, my husband catches me doing that. He'll come in and he'll start trying to talk to me and then he'll say, we'll just talk about it later. You're in the zone. (laughs) And it's hard to turn it off. So set your boundaries Mm -hmm. and and turn it off. Yeah, really redirect. Yes. One way that you can help. With the stress and the burnout is use your prep time to the max. I know that's, you may be thinking, well, that's work. But if I use my prep time to the max, then I am, I'm treasuring my outside of school time. That's right. So yeah, make sure you're getting everything done that you can get done. So then when it's time to go home, you can shut the door and and shut off your mind. You're not thinking I have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Be sure to know what is necessary. Sometimes I'll get wrapped up in thinking I need to do this, I need to do that, and it's not really necessary. Yes, guilty. So, you know, I think I can max myself out and get stressed, and really it's it's unnecessary. Yeah. So remember your why Mm -hmm. and keep figuring out a way to keep keep that in your forefront. Why am I here and Mm -hmm. why am I doing this? Yeah. And, and what it, what is the potential of my work? So I think that can help fight your burnout and help you manage your stress. We'll have more stuff for you later on. Yeah. So how do we, Emma? Yeah, Emma, Emma Grace French, she's, she's entering her second year of teaching. And her question is, how do I set a plan to continue communication with parents throughout the year? She wants to be able to continually update them, not just when there's a problem. But she also doesn't want to spend hours a week you know, communicating. So we highly encourage you to set up some kind of system. I I mean, I have kids of all ages, you know, Remind, Dojo, Blooms. There's many different apps, but also just the email list would be great. Yeah. You said one of your child's Yeah. Teachers. So Jennifer Langston, she's a seventh grade science teacher, and she just set up an email list for each period. I would get an email from her and it would say seventh period. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't having to type in everybody's name. It was just seventh period. Group. And she sent out, I mean, not kidding you. I got pictures of my child doing science experiments two to three times a week. That's awesome. At the seventh grade level. That is and great. that was easy for her. And a lot of times I would notice it would come right after he ended his class. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing in the transition, she would click on those pictures and just shoot it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. But also I have seen... One of my own personal children, their teacher 
uh, sent out an email to like all seventh grade math student parents and it just had what was coming up. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think just some kind of system that you push out what's happened, maybe with pictures Mm -hmm. uh, and then what's coming. I mean, if my kid's in 12th grade and I would love it if when they're in college, I got a little information about what was going on. Yeah. I think it's great. And that's easy. So you set your system up at the beginning of the year. Oh, you've got some teachers who use social media. Yeah, a lot of teachers use. So they have a social media page that is just for the parents in their classroom. So it's private. It's private. Uh So they can share pictures of their children, you know, of the class and activities. Uh Or if they go on a field trip, they can take pictures, upload them to that Facebook page, and then the parents Bam, have there. access. Or yeah. you could even ask your child about the science experiment we did today. Yeah. You could send out little yeah, things like that to engage. Uh-huh. Share your idea okay, that so you did. It, I did this and I this is this was Harry Wong. Like he's got it. Yeah. He knows what what's he's what's it's been right. a great help yeah. to me. I literally when I started teaching, I used everything in his book. The first days of school, I did, I did what he said. If he said do it, I did it. I didn't know any better. But he um, suggested writing a handwritten note home with a different child every day. Okay. One note mm-hmm. of one thing they did that that was good or creative or something you wanted to brag on them Just about. Just highlight. And his, his suggestion was that that student or those students who are in your class who um, may have trouble getting along or mm-hmm. have some behavior issues as the, it may be the first day, but whatever, as soon as you can start sending some notes home with that child. So that by the time you do have an issue, right. you're not sending a bad note home. And that's the first thing they've ever heard from you. They've gotten a couple of good notes about things that their child has done. And then you get, you know, you get a better response. They yeah. feel like, Oh, she cares about my kid. Now she's got this problem. And, and I'll tell you, I'm old. But I think there's something about a handwritten note. I think it's personal. It is. It's mm-hmm. personal. You took the time to write me a note about my child, and and it's appreciated. Yeah. And Jennifer Langston in seventh grade also sent home postcards. That's great. I was very impressed with her communication. That's awesome. Good, Jennifer. Yes. I, As a third grade teacher, I would send out a newsletter, an old-timey one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it had too. the same format every week so I could just plug in new information, but I always had a personal touch to it. On the bottom right-hand corner, it would say my favorite part of the week. Okay. And then the kid would write that in. Or okay. one thing I learned about frogs is blank, 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 or whatever. And that was, typically the newsletter was presented to the parent because the child wanted to show their they had a part of it. That's great. That really worked well. Uh, with my my students. I mean, with communication, it's a big deal, but I think just setting up your system and saying, okay, on Fridays, I will push out an email. I will work on that document all week long, you know, just a little bit here and there, and I'll push it out on Friday. And the parent becomes predictable about when they'll receive it, and it becomes a routine for you. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Okay, the next one is Writing objectives. And my friend Emily and I were having this discussion yesterday just about how to write objectives, what's great about objectives, and it just got my mind thinking about it. We need to make sure that our objectives and our lesson plans, but even more importantly, what we share with kids, yeah, they're measurable. 
many of my college students would write, their objective is to understand the importance of the letter from Birmingham jail. And I would say, okay, well, how are you going to measure that? Yeah. And say, well, do you understand? Well, Kim might be nodding her head and that is not true. That's true. Yeah. So make sure that the verbs you use in your objectives are measurable. So list, define, explain, explain, describe, and then even making sure, let's say that we describe that we say, okay, what does a good description look like? Right. So I think, yes, I think when you do that, they need an exemplar. Yeah. I think it would be, oh man, especially in writing. Yeah. Yeah. Or an open response in math. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's got to be connected to the standard. Because, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, you do not have time to teach extra stuff. <laughs> That's right. It's got to be connected to the standard. And the standards are pretty broad sometimes. So it may be connected. It may be a learning target en route to the standard. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. it's not really the outcome. That but, standard is the outcome at the end. But this objective is about... Getting them ready to do it. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's so, right. formats we like are, of course, the I can statement. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, in my lesson plans, I have that I can write a three-point paragraph. There you go. And that's what I'm sharing to the students. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be working hard so that we're able to. At the end of this, you will be able to say, "I can write." Uh, I can add and subtract fractions mm-hmm. with unlike denominators. <sighs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Emily was sharing with me what her district is using, and Kim and I have been talking about it, and we think it's interesting, so chew on it, people. Yeah, this is a good one. Yes. It is, today I will blank so that I can blank. I will know that I have it when blank. Uh, We tried these, and they're tough. It really makes you think about what it is the student is going to have to do to demonstrate um, if they can do it, they can do it. And I was thinking, even if I don't say this complicated stuff to my kids, this is very important for me to think about Yeah. because whatever I'm having my kids do, I need to make sure that I can measure and see if they can do it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the one. Kim did a great one. Oh, okay. It's the use of transitional words. That one. Okay. Today I will create a list of transitional words and phrases so that I can use them to connect ideas when I write. I will know I have it when I read my piece to my editing partner and they can see how smoothly my writing flows. Mm. So it's today I will, so that I can, I will know I have it when. That's right. And Emily's school is writing this for each standard. I've really been playing about around this in my mind. I'm not sure that's going to work completely completely all the time you might have to tweak it because you'll have sub skills and things like that but it's definitely a great starting block I think so too yeah um today I will uh make words with um vowel consonant e so that I can read them fluently in my books I will know I can ha- I have it when I'm able to read a list of words with vowel consonant e look at you doing I just that. did it <laughs> Wow. Okay. Okay. Just a note about objectives is just really being intentional and knowing where you're going and informing your students of that. You may be a a person who writes it on the board, but for sure, making sure you're communicating it in user-friendly words to your students. That's right. I really like that one. Yeah. I'm going to keep working with that. Okay. (laughs) Now we're here at this part of of the podcast where I used to think, but now I know. I used to think 
Laura, by this point in my career, 30, year 31, that I have had, I've, I'd have all the answers. I would have it all under my control. Oh, I'm so sorry to tell you. I can't. <laughs> now I know that I will never have all the answers and I will always be learning new strategies. And that is a-okay, isn't it? It is. It is. Please don't beat yourself up, people. Oh, no. We're still learning. We're still learning. And yeah. that's great. And we want to model that for our students. I think so, too. Yeah, so. I think so. They need to see us as learners, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and excited about learning. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you for your questions. And we hope our an- answers are beneficial. Just please comment and keep those questions coming. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're wrapping up. So please share this podcast with others. We are excited to be meeting with you each week and sharing our experiences. As always, we hope that today has helped you in some way. Our goal is to help at least one teacher help one student one day, one time. Good. See you next time. See ya.